0: The Curious Mother. We aim to create a space that encourages active discussion without judgment. I am Melissa Miller, psychologist and mother of two. I am Kristen Daly, psychologist and mother of three. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to The Curious Mother. I'm Melissa Miller. I'm Kristen Daly. Kristen, I think we have a pretty exciting guest today. Why don't you tell us all about her? Okay, so we have a
1: lot of common threads in the community of women's health, and uh, I actually have been trying to attend some of the webinars that she has been running over this year, um, and so I was just so thrilled that she was willing to talk to us. So we have joining us today, Dr. Elise Kelly-Jones, and Dr. Kelly-Jones is medical director and founder of Navant Health Women's Sexual Health and Wellness. She has been advocating for women's sexual health and wellness for the span of her 20-year career and has worked really hard to develop this very unique, exciting program through one of the healthcare systems here in Charlotte. And it's really a pretty special place. And so Elise has agreed to come in and, and talk to us today about women's sexual health. And I want to kind of kick off I heard on a different podcast, they were talking about sexual satisfaction in, in people. And they said that if you look at sexual satisfaction, heterosexual women have the lowest rate of orgasms and sexual satisfaction.
2: Is that true? That is true. And it's, it's called, it's actually has a name, it's called the orgasm gap or the orgasm discrepancy, depending uh-huh. on which author you look at. But yeah, it's basically for every if it's a heterosexual couple, for every three orgasms a man has a woman, a woman typically has one. Uh, and so it's a huge discrepancy. And that goes down to why do we have sex in the first place? And sex is about pleasure, for the most part. Yeah. And if a woman isn't having orgasm, she may not be having the best sexual pleasure she can have
1: so it's
2: a huge problem huge and
1: i am wondering like how do you understand like how did how do you think that developed like how did we end up with this orgasm gap
2: oh it's so it's so interesting because you know men i could talk about this for a long time but Women don't have orgasm the way men think they have orgasm and the way um, modern media portrays it. So modern media says, you know, a penis goes into the vagina and a woman has an orgasm and it's just that simple. But it's not that simple. Most women have an orgasm through direct clitoral stimulation, um, either partner stimulated or self-stimulated. And so if you don't know your anatomy, you don't know where your clitoris is, you, and you've never explored that, you probably are unlikely to have had an orgasm. Then you partner up and he thinks you're supposed to have one a certain way and you don't. And, or what's even worse, which happens all the time, is you're kind of shamed into, I'm not having an orgasm. So let me fake it. So he thinks at least I'm normal. <laughs> mm. you know, he'll stay with me. All those things come into play. And so it just begins this like slippery slope of what happens. And if you talk to men, and I don't know if this research has been done, but they really do believe that women have orgasm with them. Oh, that's not happened to me. And I If you interview women, women will say, oh yeah, I've totally faked an orgasm.
0: I have to share a story that happened recently. I, with the rest of the world, was engrossed in Bridgerton on Netflix. And (laughs) there is a scene where the daughter gets really mad at her mother and is like, you did nothing to prepare me for the marital bed. And it got me thinking like, Uh, that still hasn't changed. Like, I don't think I really got that sex for women could be pleasurable and was supposed to be pleasurable until way later in life, because we were taught it's for making babies and not to do it, but nothing about pleasure. And certainly it was always like, we knew guys had pleasure, but I don't feel like we are taught as women that it is
2: pleasurable. we do this really weird thing Uh, for young women we say don't have sex don't get pregnant because that's bad wait till you're married and for men we kind of give them free reign i mean not as bad as it used to be but still it still happens And then we put these two people together and we say, go have great sex. And so neither one of them has the right information. And if really, if a couple figures it out, it's pretty amazing that they can figure it out on their own. Uh, And so that's why we have all these high levels of sexual functioning issues because they, that, you know, it just doesn't work that way. And I liken it to if somebody said on day one, I graduate from college and I'm, I've got a teaching degree, um, I probably am gonna be a, a pretty okay teacher at this. Point. But after I've had 10 years of experience and somebody's helped me and mentored me and I've gone to education about being a teacher, I'm gonna be a pretty good teacher. But we never do that for sex. We never educate, we never say, hey, read this book, look at this podcast, you use this website. Um, until usually there's a dysfunction. And then once there's a dysfunction, now we're like, okay, we got to do something about this. There's so much access now to pornography.
1: And my gut says that that probably maybe has not helped us very much because I'm thinking about what you said about how it's modeled that women should orgasm during sex and intercourse should create that. And I imagine a lot of like, if kids get exposed to pornography that might be also what they think is normal
2: yeah unfortunately the you're right they have access uh at a very young age especially if parents aren't aware and on un- also unfortunately pornography is very can be very graphic it does things to the brain that are probably not healthy and actually you can change some of your brain, uh, what we think, we don't know for sure, but we think you can change some of your brain chemistry with regard to how you respond sexually if you're introduced to pornography too early and a large volume of it. It creates this really negative impact in sexual lives because imagine that happens to you as a teenager and then you're trying to partner at some point and it just doesn't have the impact in your brain like it used to how do we reverse that and we don't really know the answer to that question
1: yeah i saw this the rat vest study where they like put vests on rats and had them copulating and in this one study because they were looking at the neurons related to sexual pleasure and sexual seeking and then what they found was when they took the rat, the vests off, which were just a research tool, that the rats no longer copulated because they had developed an association that wearing a vest is when I copulate. And if my vest isn't there, I don't copulate. And talking about how that our sexual template can get imprinted and then we
2: don't know what to do. Right. And if that can happen to a rat, imagine what can happen to a human being with you know, with just this overexposure. So I think parents really need to be aware. We uh, was having a discussion yesterday with a group of women um, about when do we start this conversation? And it has to start really, really early. It has to start um, as soon as your child can recognize that um, they have body parts and we start naming nose and ear and eye but we don't give the other body parts the right names. We nickname them or we make up cute Mm -hmm. names for them. And so it's really important to start with naming the body parts correctly and starting at maybe even younger than four when your um, language skills really begin to develop. And then continuing that conversation throughout their whole entire life not just you know it's not just a let's have a talk about this it's let's have ongoing dialogue about this and and what are the risky things like what what if your friend suddenly shows you a porn website? What does that mean? Um, mm-hmm. Anticipatory guidance. That's really what's important for our kids on so many levels. We talk about stranger danger. We talk about cars and drinking. We, but we need to be talking about what are some of the concerns with regard to sex? Mm-hmm. What do
1: you do when you have a patient who might be that woman who's been faking orgasms for a long time and wants to figure out what you know how to actually engage with a healthier sexual relationship with her spouse.
2: Walk me through what that looks like. So it's interesting because that's developed throughout my career. I didn't know this was a thing <laughs> <laughs> I, until I figured out it was a thing. And then so now I I ask that question. You know, do you have orgasm? Is it pleasurable? Um, have you ever had a you know faked an orgasm? Um, and and so. And I'm very matter of fact about it. So I, when I determine that, I try to kind of explore the why. And then I usually say, um, it's time to you know, have a really frank conversation with your partner about what's been going on and why it's been going on and why you might have gone down that pathway to start with. Because it's always about the two of them together. It's never just about her doing this or him doing this. It, it happened because there was a dynamic between the two of them and trying to figure that out and liken it to anything else. Hey, I found out this about me, um, whether I need glasses or, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And now I, I'm going to fix it or we're going to fix it together. And I'm working with somebody to help me. The two of us can hopefully get to the other side of this. So it's kind of like, let's not play the blame game. Let's not play the shame game. Let's just say, okay, this is what it is and let's move on. Do you ever have a woman who
0: says, well, why does it matter if I have an
2: orgasm? What's wrong with faking it? That goes back to the whole concept of pleasure, the where our sexual pleasure comes from we, we have pleasure through intimacy, touching, kissing, intercourse, all those things. But where we really kind of bond with our partner and release all those neurochemicals <laughs> that are so awesome and do so many powerful things is through orgasm. So that's really why it's so important. It's, it's, we're gonna release all these neurochemicals in your brain if you're with your partner, that's gonna bond you to your partner those neurochemicals are going to create some wellness in you that you didn't really realize you could have. Um, so it is uh, an important part of our overall wellness.
0: I think that's really cool to hear. And I hope also that, you know, if there is a, a partner out there who's like, well, it doesn't matter if you're not seeking pleasure. My goodness, if, if it's fantastic that person is going to obviously want to be having more sex. So it seems like it's in everyone's best interest
2: for both parties to have pleasure. Well, and then it also leads to sexual dysfunction. So mm-hmm. many women will come in and say, the chief complaint is I have low desire. So that to me doesn't mean anything. I have to figure out where is that low desire coming from? So and oftentimes it is, it's not that they have low desire. That's a, that's a medical diagnosis. They have... Mm-hmm. Uh, orgasm issues, which is also a medical diagnosis. So then we have to, so say for instance, I gave them a low desire medicine. It's not going to treat the orgasm issue. You have to address the orgasm issue before you then can address the desire. Usually the desire issue resolves once we get to orgasm. (laughs) Yeah.
1: I'm thinking too about the relational connection piece that you just said, where, you know, one of the books that, we sometimes use with parents of teenagers is a book called Hooked about how when you get, when you're sexually engaged in a relationship, your brain becomes increasingly more connected to that relationship, even if it's not a healthy relationship. So I can, oh, yeah. I, it makes sense here that there's, if we associate sexual pleasure with creating a deepening oxytocin, deepening level of, of love and attachment, if we're not doing that with our partner, that's a vulnerability in the relationship
2: too. Right, right. And, and so then, then you're both kind of missing something, you know, you're, you're missing that, that kind of bond that occurs because are not having release of those neurochemicals. So I think it's really important for women to realize that there's a piece of their relationship that they could take to a new level if that occurred. And for, and for men too. So men who only have sexual pleasure by themselves or to pornography, guess what they're bonding to? They're bonding to something different and not their partner. And so then that becomes an issue for the relationship. Men have low libido too and oftentimes their low libido is a direct result of some type of pornography influence as far as the, possibly an addiction or possibly a preference. Doesn't mean they they always have an addiction, if they prefer porn, but it can be, it can be out of balance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's the rat fest. <laughs> so
0: for the woman who is struggling to have an orgasm,
2: where do you start with her? Usually for women as, that have orgasm issues, I start with anatomy. I show them their anatomy, basically explain all their pieces and parts to them. And then I, there's a reflex that occurs that just like your knee reflex, when you tap your knee, your knee goes out. There, if, if you stroke a certain part of the vulva, there's a reflex that goes up to the spinal cord and back. And what they'll have what's called an anal wink. So the we'll see the anal kind of close and open and that's a sign that, the, or that this reflex is intact. So I show them that and I say, neurologically, this is intact. And so now we just have to decide how you're going to stimulate so that you can have this pleasure. Because orgasm actually happens in your brain. It's stimulated in the periphery, but it can happen in your brain. And some women have nipple orgasms. Some women can have orgasms just by thinking about having an orgasm that's been shown um, through functional MRI, which is pretty amazing. Um, But many women, their orgasm comes through direct clitoral stimulation. And they typically have to figure out how to do that to themselves before they can teach a partner how to do that to them. And so, and it's, and I liken it to you know there's an itch in the middle of your back and you can't scratch it so you have to get somebody else to scratch it and you have to say up here down left right harder slower <laughs> so <laughs> once you figured out how you have your orgasm then that's when you start to tell a partner and women have to kind of like let go and let the partner kind of figure it out too. So, so many times we're so much of controlling everything, but this is a moment where we have to let go and really be mindful and pay attention to the feelings in our body. I'm, I'm thinking here because I,
0: I can imagine that there are some women who are like, ah doesn't really happen for me in bed. So I take care of myself at a different time, but I'm hearing like the importance of this, the, the bonding, it really right. has to be with your partner. So I think if that's happening, we really have to rethink it has to
2: be together. Right. Well, and then the other thing that happens is when women kind of figure it out and do it by themselves a lot, then they can have some You know, some anxiety related to doing that with a partner So, an anxiety is a sex killer. It's a, it's an orgasm killer. So sometimes it's just, you know, gradually progressing them through, okay, you know, show your partner what you do or maybe verbally talk about what you do and then show your partner what you do and then try to let your partner imitate what you're doing turn the lights on so you can see (laughs) put your glasses on if you need to Um, so all of that's really important when it comes down and then you know, if you have a certain toy that you prefer, show your partner how to use that toy. Many women, especially as we get older, we require more stimulation to achieve orgasm. So that's that's the second kind of patient I see. I had one, I had it great, it was awesome, and now it's gone away. So then mm-hmm. I have to figure out why is it gone away? Is that a hormonal issue or is that just an aging issue? And, or is that a medication that's potentially caused it? And then how do we get it back? And if it requires more stimulation, let's do that. We're okay with, as we age, you know, taking blood pressure medicine and taking high cholesterol medicine. There's nothing wrong with that to keep us healthy, but we're somewhat adverse to using a toy to create sexual pleasure. Uh, And I don't, I mean, I get it. (laughs) <laughs> but I don't completely get it.
0: <laughs> so help help our listeners out because I think there's a lot of women who might think, oh, I can't walk into a sex shop to get a toy, but there's lots of options online. Can you tell women you know, how to find a good quality sex toy? Yeah. So here's the problem is you
2: go and Google it or you put it in Amazon vibrator and 10,000 options comes up. Same with lube. I mean, if you need a lube, like who knows? So I'm always telling doctors and nurse practitioners and PAs, like don't just tell a patient to get a lube, have specific options. So same thing with vibrator. Don't just go get a vibrator, have specific options. So I have my favorites. um, And I, I, I will Uh, tell you about those, but I actually think it's not such a bad thing to go to a store that sells all those kinds of things, because those people that are in the store are incredibly knowledgeable. They know their product. You know, we're, you know, if if we're looking for that one amazing dress for a special occasion, we don't usually buy that off the internet. We go to a store and we talk to an expert and we try a bunch of them on. Now you can't really try a bunch of vibrators. That Maybe that's a new business we don't really, we could invent here. Um, but you, you want to have some, an expert kind of help you with, do you like a lot of stimulation? Do you like a little stimulation? Are you gonna use this by yourself? Are you gonna use this with a partner? Because um, they're also expensive um, and so you, you, you know, buying the least expensive thing is not great, but buying the most expensive thing is usually not good either. So hitting somewhere in the middle of the price point. So probably the biggest one that gets used the most in my world, in the sexual medicine world is called the magic wand. It was originally manufactured by Hitachi um, another manufacturer has taken it over. It's it, the the device that plugs into your trickle socket. It runs about $50. If you want the rechargeable one, that runs about $75, $80. So not a crazy investment for to have sexual pleasure. Something that you use over and over and over again, and it, it may never die on you. Um, <laughs> Uh, but it's kind of big and bulky. And so it's really good for women who want to try to figure this out on their own. It's harder to use with a partner. It can be done, but it, it can be a little bit more uh, difficult. It's also good for women as they're aging who need more stimulation because it's, it's pretty powerful. The other one I really like is called The Tango by Wee Vibe. WeVibe is a great company. If you go to their website, you'll see lots of different uh, vibrators. Uh, but it's about the size of a lipstick and it's USB rechargeable. It is, it's pretty powerful for the size that it is. Um, uh, if a woman is pretty skilled in what her anatomy and she knows what gives her pleasure, then she can use it by herself. Um, uh, but what's nice about this little, little toy is that your partner can then you use it Um, during any kind of pleasure and can use more than just the toy can use their fingers their tongue whatever they like and um, it can create a lot of pleasure for women
1: it goes back to that initial anatomy lesson because I, I can I can picture that if you're in this position there's probably a lot of fear associated with walking into a store or you know like even just trying to approach like the shopping piece
2: right Right. And that's why I always give a couple of options, because people that don't want to do that, I'm like, okay, so here are your options. If you, you don't want to do any of that, which I get, then let's, let's try these other options and see how, it, how they work for you. And neither one of them are too much of a crazy investment that, um, that you, you, you can't spend that kind of money. And, and then, you know, the, there are these, these toy parties. I'm not a huge fan of the toy parties because that's somebody trying to sell you something in a different way than um, what I think the stores seem to do. Um, and what's fun about the stores is it can be a great fun evening for you and your partner to just go there and explore more than just that. Because they're, you know, I always, I say to a lot of women that, you know, many of us, it's like there's a wonderful dessert buffet in front of us and we're picking vanilla ice cream every time. <laughs> and so vanilla ice cream's good, but it may not be so good over and over and over again. So how about some chocolate sauce and some nuts and some whipped cream on top of that vanilla ice cream? So that's what what the rest of the store or holds for you. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that's another thing that I think every woman or every couple should have uh, some some a sexual repertoire of what they do, but also try to break out of that and try some new things.
1: You're kind of flipping some of these beliefs that people may have on their head, you know, I, because I feel like one of the things I will hear from couples is there's a perspective that women have sex to keep their partner because it's like, if I keep them sexually right. engaged, they won't step out, you know, and, and I think that that diminishes the need for their own pleasure, right? Right, And it's interesting to think about if I really want to feel connected to my partner, I'm going to be really open to having my own pleasure. And then I think the other piece of it is I think sometimes people can have a sense of like nice people or normal people don't do these things, you know, and it's almost like if you really want to fully be in your relationship, this adds to it, right? Right.
2: Right. Well, and we engage with our partners in a lot of different ways. You know, I may learn to like love baseball because my partner loves baseball and he may learn to cook because I love to cook. And those are things that we do together. And they, they help create some of that bonding with us, with, with each other. But sex also does that and that's the one reason why i mean that's one of the major reasons why we're with a partner is to have that level of intimacy with them and so i think we really need to break out of the you know good girls don't do that uh (laughs) that kind of modality that we have been in for so long because people are doing it (laughs) that's Mm -hmm. the other crazy thing is this industry is a is a billion dollar industry so people are doing it they're just doing it with a lot of secrecy and Mm -hmm. to me it's like let's get over that like that that's so like such an ancient thing and let's bring this all to the forefront of let's have sexual pleasure how do we have sexual pleasure Um, we are creative Mm -hmm. by natural we are creative as human beings so let's be creative in that part of our life too we don't always cook the same things over and over again because that would get boring. So why are we doing the same kind of sexual acts over and over again?
1: Mm-hmm. I know, I-, I keep telling my husband that I, I feel like men also need to step up their game just a tiny bit because my understanding was libido goes down with age but now it makes sense more that it, you have to be more engaged to connect with pleasure. And so it's kind of like, you know, for us to stay invested it's important to kind of be able to meet us where we need them.
2: Well, and that, the other thing that's important is when a couple has been together for a long time, it's important to realize that the, the, the desire, that feeling of wanting can change from being um, uh, you know, what I call hot, sweaty, monkey love desire, where <laughs> you just can't get them, like you can't get to them fast enough, to more of what's called responsive desire so you may not feel really like being intimate with your partner until you're having some level of intimacy kissing hugging touching you know um and so i tell women that's a very natural evolution of your relationship with your partner but doesn't mean that you get to now not be engaged so just like you just said men need to step up at their game women kind of need to step up their game too. And it's not always about them asking and us saying no, we should be asking too. And I oftentimes tell couples that you as a couple need to decide what interval of intimacy is comfortable with you. And then you need to trade who initiates it and not always be about one person asking and one person saying no, or maybe, or yes. Um, we could go back to the rats with that, because remember, like rats will go and tap the bar, um, to get the treat, um, over and over and over again. And even though they only get treat one out of 20 times, they'll keep tapping that bar. Mm -hmm. And then what does that do to their brain? So I think women also have to, you know, be engaged and be willing to say, Hey, I want you. It's really awesome. Men feel really good when they are approached by their partner. Mm hmm
0: I I like the idea too of um, sort of bringing power back to the women. About this is about us too. This is not about performing or pleasing our partners. This is for us too. And sometimes, like with a run, sometimes you don't want to do it, but it takes the first you know half mile before you're like, oh, okay, good. I'm so glad I did this.
2: Right, right. (laughs) That's an analogy I use all the time. You go to the gym and you you it takes a while before you get up at five o'clock and feel really good for going to the gym but then eventually you're like oh this is I'm feeling better my body looks better Mm -hmm. my emotions my my brain is better my sleep is better and so that's true of sex too the more you kind of engage and really enjoy your sexual relationship and and have discussions with your partner what's wrong with saying hey i'd like to try this um or i learned this on a podcast and i would love to explore this are you willing to do to to do that because we go back to that buffet of dessert you know let's see what else is on the buffet especially if we feel like we've gotten into that um, I, i call it a sexual script if you can like write down he does this then i do this and then he does this and then i do this that's bad <laughs> and it's, it's time, bad? To, <laughs> that, time to rip that script up and and find a uh, find a new one <laughs> mm-hmm. so <laughs> Great.
0: You just brought something up. If, if people are wanting to get curious about, you know, what else is on the buffet, what's on the menu, what are some ways that they can explore and get
2: curious that's not porn? So I have a podcast that I recommend to my patients. It's, it's one of my absolute all-time favorites. It's called Speaking of Sex with the Pleasure Mechanics. Uh, They're two women sex educators, they're partnered to each other. And they are, um, I think they now have over 300 podcasts. It's incredible. But they have a website, uh, pleasuremechanics.com, and where they have indexed all their podcasts. So if you want to learn more about Um, orgasm. You click on orgasm and up pops all, all of their podcasts that they've ever done on orgasm. And so that's an easy way to kind of learn about what are different things we can do. The other thing they do that's super cool is they have, so all of that's free. Everything I just said was free, but they have these courses that they do that are multimedia. So there's written information, there's video and those you have to pay for, but they're totally worth it have an erotic massage one they have a foreplay mastery oral sex ones and um, so it really a couple can say oh yeah I'd like to do this or I'd like to learn more about this which is like what we do in all aspects of our life right we want to learn about something we go take a class we go read about it we get a book and so that's you know in our day and age because people are so busy I love a podcast to get, you know, a, a short amount of information in a short amount of time when you're doing something maybe that you wouldn't normally like driving, for instance.
1: When should somebody be looking into their hormones? At what point do you get evaluated to find out where your hormone levels are at?
2: Typically, our hormones are working well until we get into our later 30s, early 40s. Um, Our hormones come out of our ovaries and are dependent really on our um, egg functioning. And women are born with all the eggs they're ever going to have. Men reproduce their sperm all the time. So that's one of those different logic differences in us. And so as we age and our eggs age, our hormone dysfunction begins and there um, is this period of time that most women don't even understand is happening called perimenopause. Peri means around and it's that period of time between when our ovaries were working well and when they stopped working completely. Uh, The definition of menopause is one year without a period, so this in between time can last five to ten years And that's a long time to have hormonal dysfunction and not know you have hormonal dysfunction. And what happens is, you know, your ovaries will work and you'd be like, okay, things are going well. And then they don't work. And you're like, what, what's going on? I'm having hot flashes and night sweats and you can't figure it out. And then they overwork. And so then you're having breast tenderness and bloating and you've gained 10 pounds. And so. So, and, and we don't even know it's in relationship to our period, but that's usually when the period starts changing. And so that's a time to begin to think, mm, could this be perimenopause? It's oftentimes a woman is put on an antidepressant because all these changes sound like depression. And, uh, And that's usually, to me, is not the best treatment because then antidepressants cause sexual functioning issues. Uh, They cause weight issues. And so they make some things worse. So that's when a a woman starts to notice these changes, changes in her menstrual cycle, that's really a time to say, "Mm, I might need to get my hormones looked at. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Are there any other signs that even if it's not due to menopause, that maybe hormones might be out of whack. I hear a lot about estrogen dominance. Um, what are some other uh, warning signs that hormones are are not where they need to be?
2: So any kind of bleeding abnormalities are, are typically a hormonal. It doesn't have to be a hormone dysfunction, but those need to be evaluated. It can be um, something going on with the uterus. It can be an architectural problem. So, um, if it, and then if women really start to have significant mood issues, hair loss, low libido, belly fat, fatigue, all of those are signs of hormonal dysfunction and probably need to be evaluated. I think it's important for women to realize that not everybody treats this the same way either. And so it's, I, I do a very different evaluation than a lot of practitioners. Um, but I also want women to realize there are potentially some unsafe things that they can do as far as hormone replacement and to really do their due diligence about what is considered safe and effective and what might be kind of on the outskirts of that. How do you check hormones? Is it blood work? Yes, I usually measure hormones. You can you can try to do those on a specific day of the cycle. That's actually the ideal way to do it, but oftentimes that doesn't work out. Come back on day three of your menstrual cycle. Well, what if my menstrual cycle doesn't happen? Um, what if I'm busy that day? And so I just have, I just check levels whenever the patient is in front of me, and then that's that's a snapshot in time but the story they tell me is part of the movie that I'm going to put together so when i get i get back their levels and i hear their story and they make sense and then we try things so sometimes we hit it right on the head we go okay yeah i feel so much better with this supplement and this supplement and sometimes it takes a few times of doing that but then we check levels again so we get a couple of snapshots in time and then the movie changes but and generally speaking, women follow a pattern of how they move through this change of their life where they begin to have menstrual irregularities and then those happen to get worse and then their menstrual cycles get more spaced out and then they have more symptoms related to that. So it's a pattern, it, it's kind of chaos, but there's a pattern in the chaos.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, there to see it, right? Right, right. Well, Elise, I am really grateful for your time today. And I think this is information I'm excited for people to understand.
0: I feel like I've already learned so much. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of The Curious Mother. Please join our community and add your voice. Follow us on Instagram at The Curious Mother. Thanks for listening.